desperately wish for a soft wing of hope, but instead we get life in a culture of ungrace. I know that's not a word, but it works here. Disgrace doesn't apply since it's a different word altogether, and non-grace just doesn't sound as good. If you don't know what ungrace is, just hop on the interstate at rush hour, or watch how quickly Hollywood turns on a star who doesn't shine like he once did at the box office or sit in a room full of lawyers at divorce proceedings. Ungrace pulsates in our workplaces, our communities, and in the media, and tells us that regardless of what has happened, we must do better, look better, and make ourselves better. But to love and accept someone, regardless of their flaws and failures, is a breath of hope in a harsh, finger-wagging world. That is an undeserved gift, which is life itself. That's grace. The following pages are part of my story. If I share these experiences in a way that breathes shape and color into them, perhaps you'll recognize part of your own life as well. Samuel Johnson said that people need more to be reminded than to be instructed. Sometimes we need to be reminded of why we're here, that we are valued and loved, and at the end of the pain there are still deeper and higher dreams to discover. This is the story of how I finally figured that out. Chapter 1 Lord, I suffer much. I cannot tell you what goes on inside of me. I cannot hide from you these dark battles, the deep despair. When God breathes on man, he opens his inner being and sees deeply within it. Victor Hugo, French poet and novelist. We moved to our home in Medina, Ohio in the spring of 1970 when I was three. My brother Brian was seven and got his own room, the green one with the short, shaggy, dark green carpet. I shared a room with my sister Mary Jo, we call her Josie, who is nearly ten years older than me. We got the baby aspirin orange room with the orange shag carpet, and my parents got the all-purple room. The family room was pink, the living room blue, and the kitchen had bluish-green patterned indoor-outdoor carpeting and avocado appliances. The house screamed 1960s. There were a few homes on our road, but it was mostly farmland. Our split-level house had a long blacktop driveway, huge front lawn, brick front, a white barn in the back that would hold my dad's tractors and gardening equipment, and over an acre of land behind the barn for a garden that could feed most of Medina County. My parents never believed in small gardens. Our neighbor, Mr. Lake, also had a garden behind his barn. Bud Lake had a round chest that was slick as a watermelon. It actually glistened on hot summer days when he worked outside. When we met Mr. Lake for the first time, I whispered to my mother, That man doesn't have any hair on his chest. She tried to shush me but I was three and lacked whispering skills. Mr. Lake believed in using manure for fertilizer. He'd haul in a huge load from somewhere and let it percolate inside his barn before he used it. His garden always smelled crappy, but it was lovely. A dairy was just up the street, and Mr. Lake walked to work there every morning with his lunch pail in hand. Sometimes, but not nearly enough, he'd bring home a package of ice cream bars and hand them to me. Life couldn't get any better than on those free ice cream bar days. One morning, as I played in the driveway, I was talking to myself, weaving together an outlandish tale full of colorful characters, intrigue, and drama. 
I froze when I saw Mr. Lake peering from behind one of his trees, listening to me. Go on, he said. I can't wait to hear what happens. Stage fright hit me, and I couldn't utter another word. I ran toward our garage door and heard Mr. Lake laughing from his yard. Across the road was a pasture full of cows for the dairy, and right next to us was an old farmhouse where our other neighbors lived. For the sake of this story, I'll just call them the Taylors. Theirs was not a charming farmhouse in any way. The exterior hadn't been painted in years, and what was left of the old paint fell like curly white pencil shavings around the house. A distinct odor of aged, rotting wood, cigarettes, and filth met you before stepping onto the porch. My mother was and is a no-nonsense woman. She and my father both grew up in East Tennessee working on farms that fed fifteen children in my father's family and five in my mother's. My dad's oldest sibling, my Aunt Stella, was born the same...